Hello, women's football fans. Welcome to another episode of the Women's Soccer Slash Football Podcast. I am your host, Bryce, here to introduce you to all of the great things going on in the world of women's soccer slash football, hence the name of the podcast. Welcome to another episode. We've got a great one lined up for you. But first, I just want to get this done and out of the way. If you guys like what you're hearing or seeing, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel. I greatly appreciate it, and it's really cool to meet some of you who are also involved in the fandom. If you guys like to listen to this on the go, we also have an audio version, which I'll link down in the description below. And also, if you like more content, we're also on TikTok, Instagram, and the like. Everything that you need will be linked down in the description below for your viewing pleasure. But with that down and out of the way, let's start getting into the episode. And so let's get into the first segment for the podcast episode. And for this particular segment, we're just going to catch up on some NWSL news that's been going on within the last week or so. First off, I want to remind you guys that the NWSL Challenge Cup is going to be beginning in about a month. It's going to be starting on April 9th, and I am super, super pumped to do that. It'll be a nice preseason tournament, I guess you could call it, before the season ends up kicking off. And then following that, the regular season will kick off on May 15th. So four weeks of Challenge Cup, and then we'll go right into the regular season. What else is going on in the NWSL? I talked about this on the last podcast episode, but in case you haven't watched it or you haven't heard, the Chicago Red Stars have unveiled their new ownership group. Arnim Whistler is still the majority owner, but he wanted to include more names and faces to the group, and he has done so. So now the ownership group includes himself, the majority owner, Arnim Whistler, Jesse Becker, Dean Egerter, Julie Haddon, Israel Adonahe, Jordan Levin, Abel Lescano, Colleen Maris, Michael Ramondi, Steve Ritchie, Kendall Coyne Schofield, Michael Schofield, Sarah Spain, Marie Tillman, Brian Walsh, Kevin Willer, and David M. Zapata. So if you guys are more curious, I took a deep dive into each of these new names and faces on my previous podcast episode, which you can find in my channel listings. What else is going on in the NWSL? The Kansas City NWSL, or the KC NWSL, as they've called themselves for their inaugural season, they announced their preseason schedule, and they've actually already started with it. They started out playing against the Orlando Pride. And they played against them on March 3rd. It was just a really quick friendly. Kansas City emerged victorious out of that one by a scoreline of 1-0. So that was really, really cool. Who scored? Reisa Akimoto, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, scored in the 59th minute. She was on the right side of goal just outside the penalty area. She wound up with her right foot and sent it into the upper left-hand corner of the net, which is really, really cool to see. Not a bad way for the Kansas City NWSL franchise to start out. Uh, Hugh Williams had a few notes on the match, but to sum it up, they created chances and they needed better finishing. Uh, he praised he praised the play of their new signing, Victoria Pickett, who was their collegiate draft, which is really, really cool. Uh, the remaining NWSL or KC NWSL preseason schedule includes the following. On March 16th, they'll be playing the Kansas Jayhawks, so the collegiate, te- the collegiate women's soccer team. On March 20th, they will play against Kansas State. And then on March 31st, they will round out their preseason schedule by facing off against Oklahoma. So if you guys want to catch up on everything that Casey NWSL is doing, follow them on Twitter at Casey Woso, and they will get you covered. That's how I found the highlights of the match, and it was really, really cool. Um, it's really weird, though, because Casey NWSL has been really transparent about their preseason schedule, and I don't know if this is an anomaly in the NWSL, but it's like I can't really find much about any of the team's preseason schedules leading up to the Challenge Cup, which has been really weird. I don't know if teams keep them under wraps. I don't know if teams just like to have closed-door practices, or maybe not a lot of them are having games. So I just thought that was really puzzling and odd. What else has been going on in the NWSL? We'll stick with KC NWSL for 
the next bit of news because they signed their draft picks. They signed Victoria Pickett and Addie McCain to multiple year deals, which is really exciting because this is evidence of the NWSL growing. A lot of the contracts that have been signed, I would say like 90% of them in the NWSL this offseason have been to two or three year, year deals. Sydney LaRue is a good example of that, of the Orlando Pride. It's awesome to see. It shows that the league is starting to become more stable and starting to grow slowly but surely, which is exactly what they need because if you grow too fast, you'll end up like the WPS and you will fold. We don't want that to happen. But anyway, Victoria Pickett is their draft pick midfielder. She signed a three-year agreement, and she was the 15th overall pick out of the University of Wisconsin, which, hey, you guessed it, Rose Lavelle attended that university as well to play her collegiate soccer. Uh, she's originally from Ontario, Canada, which I thought she, was really cool. She actually just got back from representing Canada in the She Believes Cup. I don't know if she got a ton of playing time or not. I'll have to double-check back into the archives. But some notable awards when she was in college. She was all Big Ten in 2017 and 2018. So she's got a pretty good pedigree behind her. Um, who else got signed? Eddie McCain, also another midfielder who was drafted on a two-year agreement. She is the 17th overall pick out of Texas A&M. Some of her accolades, SEC All-Freshman in 2017, All-SEC Second Team in 2018, and All-SEC First Team in 2020. To me, that's really exciting to look at from a professional team perspective because then you see that natural progression and growth as a player over time, winning an All-SEC Team award pretty much every year you're in school. So I thought that was really, really cool. I thought these two signings were perfect. One, because they drafted them. They obviously like these players, but... It gives the midfield of KC and WSL a nice mix of some veteran players and some younger players. So I'm excited to see how those two pieces are going to mesh together, especially since I keep forgetting that KC and WSL is the former Utah Royals, so that, that, that I keep forgetting to put that together in my mind. But what else is going on in the NWSL? We'll shift over to a team that's not going to be coming until next season, which is going to be Angel City FC. They have gained their first jersey sponsor, which is really, really cool. I want to make sure I get this right. They are a female-founded, direct-to-consumer footwear brand brand called Birdies. And their logo is going to feature on the right shoulder of Angel City's FC's kit, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. There's also a footwear collaboration going down between the two sides, and it's going to be in the works, and I believe it's going to be unveiled in the spring of 2022, what that will look like. So Angel City's got a lot of momentum riding on them. I can't wait to see how that all plays out. And then lastly, we'll get into the Orlando Pride. They also signed one of their draft picks, Abby Kim, who is a forward. The agreement was for two years with an option for an additional year, which, like I said, another multi-year deal. Really, really cool in terms of growth. She was the 26th pick out of California Berkeley, which is the same school as Alex Morgan went to. Um, she is a forward with some prior professional experience, actually. She didn't get drafted directly out of college. She actually went over and played in the Italian Serie A for a year, she played with uh, Fiorentina, and she got some good professional experience there, which I thought was really, really interesting. And if, that can only help the pride because they desperately needed forwards with Alex Morgan going to the Olympics this summer. I'm assuming she'll make the roster for the U.S. Women's National Team. I would be shocked if she didn't. But other than Alex Morgan and Sydney LaRue, and you could argue Marta, but she's not listed as a forward on the Orlando Pride's website, they really had, like, two forwards going into the summer, which was Alex Morgan and Sidney LaRue. So they desperately needed more. So I'm not surprised they did everything they could to sign Abby Kim. And I'm glad they did because they could use her this summer. Um, and she's also got some U20 national experience with the U.S. too. So she's no stranger to the Pride organization or to the U.S. women's national team in general. I'm excited to see what she will do going forward. 
So that catches us up on all the NWSL news going down this week, ladies and gentlemen. What are some tidbits of news that I might have missed? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think. All right, let's move into the next segment. Let's get into the second segment, which is going to be updating you all on the FAWSL Match Week 16 results and Golden Boot update as well. So the first match of the weekend was Manchester United and Aston Villa. Manchester United bested Aston Villa by a scoreline of 3-0. Who all scored for United? Kirsty Hansen opened the scoring in the 27th minute. She had a shot from outside the penalty area, bounced off the crossbar, and went in. It was really awesome. I was fortunate enough to be watching. Just Sigsworth scored in the 43rd minute, just before the half, to give United a 2-0 lead going into halftime. And then last but not least, Katie Zellum scored ahead in the 73rd minute in order to seal the deal. Scoreline 3 to Aston Villa's nil. Moving into the very next match, Birmingham City and Arsenal. Arsenal came away victorious yet again this week. Arsenal bested Birmingham City by a scoreline of four to Birmingham City's nil. Caitlin Ford had a hatch, or not a hat trick, I'm sorry, a brace. She scored in the 37th minute and also in the 39th minute. Vivian Miedema racked up her goal tally and has now scored in two games in a row. She scored in the 76th minute. And then just before the game finished up, Lisa Evans scored in the 93rd minute to cap off the scoring. Arsenal four. Birmingham City, nil. The next match of the day was Brighton and Tottenham. Brighton have extended their winning streak. Brighton won by a scoreline of two to Tottenham's nil. Kagman scored both goals for Brighton. She scored in the 64th minute and the 74th minute. The Brighton has just been climbing up the table really, really quickly. The next match of the day was Manchester City and Everton. To everybody's surprise, Manchester City only won this one by a scoreline of 1 to Everton's nil. My prediction was that they were going to thrash Everton by 4 or 5 goals, but I was wrong. Kira Walsh scored the lone goal of the game in the 81st minute, so it was a nail-biter all the way up until pretty much the very, very end. West Ham United and Chelsea took each other on. The game just finished up. Chelsea won by a scoreline of 2 to West Ham's nil. Sam Kerr opened the scoring pretty early on in the first half. She scored in the 7th minute, and then early on in the second half, Chelsea's second goal came from the foot of Beth England. She scored in the 47th minute. Now, there's one other match this week that's not going to be taking place on Sunday, which is March 7th. It, the, the final match of the week, or the match week 16, will take place on Monday, March 8th. That game is going to be uh, at 2.15 p.m. Central Time, for those of you who are trying to adjust for time zones and whatnot. That match is going to be Bristol City and, Re and Reading, and that will break off match week 16. So, with all those results out into the world, how does the table currently look? So, in first place, Chelsea remain at the very top of the table with 41 points. In second, trailing closely behind them is Manchester City with 39 points. Trailing behind them in third is Manchester United with 35 points. In fourth, Arsenal is at 29 points with a game in hand. In fifth, Everton, 22 points with a game in hand. In 6th, Reading, 19 points with the game in hand. Brighton and Hove Albion, 18 points. 8th, Tottenham, 12 points with 2 games in hand. Ninth, Birmingham City, 3 games in hand, 11 points. Aston Villa, 10th with 10 points and 2 games in hand. West Ham United, 8 points with 2 games in hand. And then lastly, Bristol City with six points and two games in hand. So the table's heating up, especially at the very, very bottom. I'm really, really curious to see when a lot of these teams at the bottom of the table start making up their games, how that's going to shake out and how the relegation battle will go. 
I think the relegation battle for the end of the season is going to be much, much more interesting to watch than the championship one because of the fact that it's pretty much between Chelsea and Man City, but at the bottom of the table, it's anyone's game at this point. How is the Golden Boot shaping up after this week's results? So, at first place, maintaining her hold on the Golden Boot, I believe she's held on to it all season long now, is Vivian Miedema of Arsenal. She's got 13 goals on the season. Tied in second, we have Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr, who are both teammates at Chelsea. They both have 11 goals. In fourth, we've got Ellen White. Actually, I'm sorry. One second, guys. Okay, yep. So, in fourth, we have Ellen White of Manchester City. She's got eight goals. In tied for fifth, we've got three different players, including Caitlin Ford of Arsenal, Jill Ward of Arsenal, and then Pernille Harder of Chelsea. They all have seven goals apiece. So... It's getting really, really interesting, and like I said, when all these games get played, and with about two months left of the season, I'm really curious to, to see who's going to get that golden boot. I still think Vivian Miedema is going to win it, but at least Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr are giving her a run for her money. How about for the assist tally? What is that looking like going out of match week 16? So, in first, we've got Chloe Kelly of Manchester City. She's had a good foothold on this top assist leading uh, category, I guess you could say, for the last few weeks. In second, trailing closely behind is Beth Mead and Katie McCabe, both of Arsenal. They've got seven assists apiece. Then in fourth, we've got Fran Kirby with six assists of Chelsea. And then in fifth, we've got three different players. Two of them are from Arsenal, or I'm sorry, no. We've got three players tied for fifth. Caitlin Ford of Arsenal, Beth England of Chelsea, and Haley Ladd of Manchester United. They all have five assists apiece. So... It's heating up in both of those races, but I want to know what you guys think. Who do you think is going to win the league? Who do you think is going to get relegated? Who do you think is going to be the top goal scorer? Who do you think is going to be the top assist leader? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think or what you make of the FAWSL Match Week 16 results. Like I said, the biggest surprise for me was Manchester City only beating Everton by a scoreline of 1-0. It shows you how well Manchester City are playing lately. Feel free to let me know whatever you think. And with that, let's get into the next segment. All right, so let's get into the third and my favorite segment, which is going to be the moment of silence. This is just a moment where I like to dedicate to something great going on in the world of women's football that I like to highlight in this particular episode. And in the, for this episode, the moment of silence, I'm going to dedicate it to Brighton Women's Football Club. They have now won three matches in a row, making it... Probably the greatest recovery in sports, or one of the greatest recoveries by a team in sports I've ever seen. They started off by losing to As or to Bristol City, which was the worst team in the league, and getting clean sheet. I think the score was 3-0. And since then, they have recovered, won three in a row, and one of those games was against the top team in the league, and Chelsea, who was on a two-year unbeaten run. So Brighton are just shooting up the FAW cell table like an absolute rocket, and I'm really curious to see where they're going to end up by the end of the season. So, ladies and gentlemen, on the count of three, if you'll join me for our moment of silence. One, two, three. Salute. All right, ladies and gentlemen, who did you choose for your moment of silence? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts. All right, so now, with all the segments down out of the way, let's start getting into our main topic. Okay, so let's get into our first main topic for the episode. For this main topic, we're just going to talk about my most anticipated teams, for the upcoming NWSL season. This is going to be in order all the way from top to bottom, and I'll just give a, I'll go into a little bit more depth for my top three teams with the rest of them. I'll just give some little footnotes, but I think this would be more fun if maybe we started out with, hmm, we'll go with three 
my third most anticipated, my second most anticipated, then my first most anticipated, and then I'll go through four through ten in that order, just so then I don't have to give you guys short cliff notes, and then it, it's just, it, I, I just like doing that better. Okay, so my third most anticipated team for the upcoming NWSL season is going to be, drumroll please, OL Reign. So in the offseason, they added a ton of midfield and forward depth. Just in their forward line alone, they've got Ciara King, which is really nice. they got Sofia Huerta. they got Bethany Balser. They've got a ton of names coming into their roster, and I think they're going to be scoring a ton of goals this season. And plus, not to mention that they're going to be adding a couple pieces from Olympic Lyonnais, allegedly. That that seems to be like a pretty high likelihood from the news. Um, from the news articles I've been reading and hearing about, it sounds like if they add Jennifer Marotzen, I always pronounce her name wrong. I can never get that right. But if they add her and uh, Sarah Buhati or uh, Randy Renard, I believe they're they're getting two out of the three of them. It sounds like it's going to be Sarah Buhati and Jennifer. But if they add those, then that's just even more reason to be excited because they're going to have a world-class goalkeeper, which they definitely needed, and also a world-class midfielder, which, hey, that only adds to the depth even more. To me, if they since they signed Karen Bardsley um, on loan from Manchester City, I wouldn't be surprised if the two players from Olympic Lyonnais who came over to OL Reign ended up being Jennifer Marotzen and Wendy Renard because then at that point, what would they need Sarah Buhati for? Not that Karen Bardsley is better, but um, it, it would make more sense to add a little bit more depth and defense with Wendy Renard. So really, really interesting stuff, and I can't wait to see what the OL Reign do with that. Moving into my second most anticipated team of the NWSL season, it's going to be, we'll do a little drum roll again, please. The Washington Spirit. The Washington Spirit, I think, and from what a, from what a lot of journalists have been saying, they kind of agree with me on this, The they are probably going to be the second best team going into this NWSL season. Their defense is going to be locked down. It's going to have Aubrey Bledsoe in goal. It's going to have Kelly O'Hare and Emily Sonnet, at least for most of the season because of the uh, Olympics going down. But then again, who knows if Emily Sonnet will be on the Olympic roster. That remains to be seen. But hypothetically, if she does stick around, that certainly helps their defensive line a lot. Emily Sonnet really excels in NWSL play, and Washington Spirit could sure use her help this summer. And then plus, they just have really solid players all the way up and down the pitch. They've got, they drafted Trinity Rodman. She's going to be a really exciting player with a ton of talent. They've got Ashley Hatch up there. They've also got Ashley Sanchez. So their forward line is going to be very, very strong. In the midfield, they've got Andy Sullivan, who's kind of drifted in and out of the U.S. Women's National Team roster over the years. So I'm really excited to see what the Washington Spirit do, especially with their new pieces while they have them. And it'll be super, super interesting to see some of the young players like Trinity Rodman and some of the vets like Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet all meld together so keep your eyes peeled for that one ladies and gentlemen and now my number one most excited team is going to be we'll do a drum roll for this one too for consistency's sake the chicago red stars i think this is the chicago red stars year to win the championship they have gotten so 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 close like for like the last five or six years they've gotten to the semis and lost they've gotten to the finals and lost they're finally they're they're starting to put all the pieces in place in order to finally secure a championship. They're investing both on the field and they're investing off the field in their new ownership group. Who, what is the roster shape up so far? So the biggest names that um, I'm seeing in this roster, Alyssa Aaron goal, the best keeper in the country without a doubt, and probably one of the best in the world. Then you've got Casey Kruger and Tierna Davidson holding down your back line. Along, along with Bianca St. George, you've got three international solid players in your back line. And then a stud goalkeeper, 
And then in the midfield, you've got Julie Ertz, who's a top 10 player in the world, playing alongside Morgan Gutro and Vanessa DiBernardo. And then in the forward line, you've got Mallory Pugh, which this is the question mark here because crossing fingers, if she can remain healthy, she will be such a big help to the Chicago Red Stars going forward because she could be the little push that they need in their forward line to get over the top. And then plus a partnership up top with Kaylee Watt. She's been getting better and better as time has gone on. And the two of them together would be absolutely deadly. So I mark my words now, and I've put this in hot takes on TikTok, but I think this is going to be the Chicago Red Stars year to win the championship. So cross my fingers for them, and I hope I'm right. Let me get into the remaining 4 through 10 anticipated teams for the upcoming NWSL season. So my fourth most anticipated team of the season is going to be the Houston Dash. The Houston Dash had a really, really, really exciting 2020 winning the Challenge Cup and performing pretty solid in the fall series. I'm curious to see how they're going to build off of that going forward. I know that um, Christy Mewis might be in the U.S. Women's National Team roster this summer. There's a chance she's been playing really, really well and really consistently. So how would the Houston Dash cope without her? Time will tell. And I and, and then also Rachel Daly, too. I don't know if she'll be over in the Olympics for the summer roster. I'm sure she will be. So I'm interested to see how the Houston Dash are going to cope without those two players if they do play in the Olympics. It's just going to be super, super interesting. And I hope the Houston Dash succeeded because up until this point, they weren't really a very exciting team. And now this gives us as NWSL fans a wild card to kind of look forward to. So I'm I'm really excited to see them. My fifth most anticipated team for the upcoming season is going to be the KC NWSL. I'm just going to call them Kansas City from now on because it gets really confusing just saying KC NWSL. That, that, that blows my mind they didn't come up with the team name. But they're a new franchise with a ton of depth. They are the former Utah Royals, hence they've inherited most of the roster and added a few pieces. So I think they were already an okay team going uh, forward. And with some of the moves that they made, especially in the draft, I'm curious to see how that's going to progress even more. So keeping my eyes open for uh, KC NWSL. Moving next into my, this is my sixth most anticipated team for the upcoming NWSL season, is going to be Sky Blue. Um, I'm starting to get into the territory 6 through 10 where I'm like not super excited for what these teams are going to do. Sky Blue is an exciting up-and-coming team. I'm curious to see, because they, they inherited, they didn't inherit, they gained a ton of allocation money. Throughout the draft, like I think they they made like a couple hundred grand in, in that draft, and I'm curious to see how they're gonna put it to use. I haven't seen like a ton make I haven't seen them make like a ton of crazy moves to make me think they're like contenders this year. I think there's a good chance they're gonna make the playoffs, but I do, do I think they'll win the title? Probably not. So well, time will tell with Sky Blue. I just think there's more exciting teams up and coming this NWSL season. Moving on next is going to be North Carolina, the seventh most anticipated team. Um, they lost a ton of pieces in the uh, offseason, losing Abby Dahlkamper, Crystal Dunn, and Sam Mewis, who all three, you could argue, are top 20 players in the world, in the world, and you lose all three of them all in different spots on the field. That that sucks. I Don't get me wrong. You still have got Jessica McDonald, J-Mac. You've got um, Dabinia in the midfield, who lights it up in the NWSL, and you've got Lynn Williams, who's been top five in scoring or assists for like the past five NWSL seasons. Little caveat to that, Dabinia and Lynn Williams might be going overseas to play in the Olympics, and so North Carolina Courage is just going to be left with Jessica McDonald leading their front line, which she's amazing, but she can't probably can't carry the team by herself. So I don't think North Carolina is going to have a great season ahead of them. Do I think they'll make the playoffs? Probably. 
Do I think they're going to do very great beyond that? No, probably not. So for that reason, I'm not really too pumped for the North Carolina Courage for this upcoming season. Moving on next into, I'm losing count in my head here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Number eight on my most anticipated list is going to be the Orlando Pride. The Orlando Pride to me has been the biggest mystery since like NWSL inception. The reason being is because this team looks crazy good on paper. You've got Ashlyn Harrison goal. You've got Allie Krieger anchoring down your defensive line. You've got Alex Morgan, one of the best strikers in the world, leading your front line. You've got Marta, one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And for some reason, they just can't win. They just don't ever perform very well in the NWSL season. I mean, they've taken bottom three like the last three years, and they didn't have a very good showing at either the Challenge Cup or the Fall Series. So... I don't think they're going to have another great year, especially with the Olympics coming up this summer. I have no reason to think that they're going to do great or outstanding, and I just, I just don't see it getting any better. So I expect another down year from the Orlando Pride. I could be wrong. The NWSL is full of surprises. Moving into my le- least anticipated team in the upcoming NWSL season, this is number nine. If you haven't guessed it yet, it is Racing Louisville. Racing Louisville, I don't think, are going to be good at all all this year. I, I I think there's a decent chance they might finish last. They have made a ton of gambles, especially in the expansion draft, that just have not paid off. Caitlin Ford's gone elsewhere. Tobin Heath and Kristen Press are still over at Man United, which makes sense, right? But I just don't... Uh, none of their gambles have, have panned out very well, like, at all. It, it, it's amazing. They took a ton of risks, which I admire the bravery in the franchise in order to do that, and who knows, if Tobin Heath and Kristen Press want to come back to the NWSL, and they want to play for Racing Louisville, or if they can just sell their rights for a ton of money, that that's a win for Racing Louisville. But so far, none of their gambles have paid off, and it's not going. We're not going to see any dividends from their gambles this upcoming season. So I expect Racing Louisville to not be a really good team coming out of the gate. So who knows? Like I said, NWSL is full of surprises, so I could very well be wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to know what you think. What are your most anticipated teams for the upcoming NWSL season? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think. All right, so with that down and out of the way, let's get into the next main topic. Get to the second main topic, which is just going to be an analysis and breakdown of the Manchester United match against Aston Villa at the weekend. Casey Stoney's Red Army, as I like to call it, emerged victorious by scoreline of 3 to Aston Villa's nil. Who all played in this match? Who was in the squad? Mary Earps started in goal and then in defense. We had Martha Harris, who actually returned from a pretty lengthy injury. She was out for a few weeks. Playing alongside her in defense was Amy Turner, Millie Turner, and Anna Bache. And then in the midfield, we featured quite a few players today. Katie Zellum, Jackie Gronin, Lucy Staniforth, Ella Toon, and Kirsty Hansen. And then the striking position in the number nine, we had Jess Sigsworth. Coming on into the squad as subs were Ivana Fuso, Fran Bentley, Tara Bourne, Maria thoris Dottier, Carrie Jones, Haley Ladd, and Jane Ross. So, really solid squad that I really like today. A few things to note that uh, they were missing a lot of players today. Kristen Press picked up a small knock in training, so she was kept out of today's match as a precaution, and it turned out just fine, so no worries there. Tobin Heath is obviously still injured and will probably be out for at least another month. Lauren James and Leah Galton also did not feature today because of injury-related things. But like I said, however, it was no problem for Man United. They absolutely dominated this game. So much so that they scored three goals and they retained possession for nearly 75% of the game. That's absolutely insane. And to boot, they they had given up no corners to Aston Villa. Aston Villa had no corners all game long. And also Aston Villa had no shots on goal. So 
that's pretty much how the game went. It's really strange to see a team dominate a game so well, but not win it by 6-7 like you'd see Chelsea or Man City do. So I think that's a really fascinating uh, characteristic of Casey Stonyside that myself as a fan, I like to appreciate. What were some of the best spots in the squad for today's game? So we'll go down the line. There's quite a few bright spots. First, Ella Toon. Ella Toon would have been my woman of the match if she wasn't taken off in the 60th minute. When the squad had a really, really slow start today, I would argue they probably didn't get it, get it going until about the 30th minute. She was creating as many chances as she could. I believe she had like three or four, and she even had a shot on goal. So she was doing everything she could. Her creativity was really being exercised throughout the midfield and also in the final third. So I thought Ella Toon played fantastic today. And like I said, if she would have played the whole game, she would have been my woman of the match. But there's more matches coming up that they have to make up, so I get it. Casey Stoney wants to rotate the squad. And at that point in the game, they're pretty much dominating already, so why risk it? Moving into the next bright spot, which is Kirsty Hansen. Kirsty Hansen ended up being my woman of the match. I thought she played fantastic today. She can get up the wing like nobody's business. It, it, it's amazing to see her be such a force, not only on the ball, like through her dribbling skills, gliding through defenders, but a lot of times defenders will have bone-crunching tackles on her inside the penalty area or just going up the wing, and it doesn't phase her. She just finds her way through it. I don't know how. It's amazing to see, but she she that's one of my favorite qualities of hers. She was the catalyst for the team today. She made Aston Villa pay for a mistake. They gave away the ball to her in the midfield early on in the game. I believe it was the 27th minute she ended up scoring. But she took a shot, and it hit off the, the, the crossbar, and it went in. And good teams make other teams pay for their mistakes and she did exactly that and that's what I think really kicked off their play for the rest of the game and really set the tempo for things to come so for me Kirsty Hansen was my one of the match I thought she played absolutely phenomenal uh, moving next Lucy Staniforth I thought Lucy Staniforth had some really good set pieces today she took quite a few of them especially earlier on in the first half she, and she ended up getting assist off of one of them to Jess Sigswood so I thought she played Pretty well today, especially with all the injuries that the squads had in their midfield and forward line. So good on Lucy Staniforth for that. And plus two, we haven't seen a ton of her this season, so it was really good to see her get in some minutes and perform really well in those minutes too. Moving in next is Millie Turner, who I'm convinced is the anchor to this back line for Manchester United and also one of the best central defenders in the league as of right now. She continued to shine today and show her, her poise, composure on the ball, especially since United had so much of it. So her and Amy Turner... Ended up facilitating a lot of play day. She did excellent at that, and when she needed to defend, she made no mistakes, obviously, because Aston Villa didn't have any shots on target. So she played really, really well today, and it was really great to see her continue to perform as consistently as consistently as she usually does. Moving into my last big bright spot for the game, Katie Zellum. Overall, Katie was pretty quiet today. She was the skipper for the squad again. She does a great job in that role. She was pretty quiet, but despite her being quiet, she still ended up to score a goal for her side and increase the goal differential when at this point in the season every goal matters because they're neck and neck with Arsenal and Arsenal as we know have a really really high goal difference so she made a count and she put in another positive aspect to the team so I really admired that about her play today. Um, moving past some of the really bright spots which like I said with how much they dominated the game there were a ton of them what were some not so bright spots? There's almost none. Only two things come to mind. As I alluded to earlier, United had a really, really slow start. They really didn't get going until about the 30th minute after Kirsty Hansen had scored her really nice goal that I love to watch. Um, 
for some reason, United, they do this thing where they'll have really, really quiet firsts, first halves. It seems to be pretty characteristic of them to not really start performing well until the first half is almost over, so like the 40th minute plus, or until the second half. I don't know if it's just they need to get into a rhythm and feel out the game before Casey starts making tactical changes, before they just get warmed up. It's really strange because it's like, obviously, you want your team to be on all game long. And when you play against really, really good teams like City and Chelsea, who tend to stay on it all game long, that can be really, really difficult. It makes me wonder even more about the Arsenal match because Arsenal have shown to get going a little bit later as of uh, as of recent games as well. So it's going to be interesting to see two teams who are performing similarly and similarly well square off against each other and see how that goes. So I, I thought they took a little while to get going and really get in their rhythm, but once they did, they hit their stride and did really, really well. The other not-so-bright spot, and this really isn't a not-so-bright spot. This is just something I've been kind of noticing as time has gone on. I've noticed Amy Turner's been a little shaky in the back line. Uh, I believe she was shaky against Chelsea when Fran Kirby scored her goal and they took the lead. And then this game, too, it's like she's not the most composed player on the ball. Like, whenever her and Millie Turner have to pass back to Mary Earps, it's usually a very, like, whenever it's coming from Amy, it's very not sure if that makes any sense, it's very inconsistent. Either it, a lot of times the back passes to Mary Earps are just a little soft and then Mary Earps has to rush and just clear the ball or they're just way off target or it's just a giveaway. And it, it, it's really interesting because I think Amy Turner is a phenomenal player. It's just for this season, she's been doing that really consistently where she hasn't been the most reliable option in the central defending position. So it, it, it made me, it, it made me think of a video I made a little while ago where Abby Dahlkemper ended up getting signed by Man City. This is obviously a couple months ago now, but somebody commented on the video, for Man City, it's not a bad signing. Obviously, if you sign Abby Dahlkemper, it only bolsters your squad, but it didn't make as much sense for Man City as it would have if Manchester United had signed Abby Dahlkemper. And the more I've the more I've watched the season progress, the more I've thought about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like the, I think if United would have signed Abby Dahlkemper she would have been a huge X factor in the squad. She would have been a really, really big difference maker. And it makes me wonder why United didn't sign her, at least to a one-year deal, like or at least even a half-season deal, like what they did with Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. The thing is, it's like, okay, it, United aren't really too deep in the center-defending spot. They've got Millie Turner, they've got Amy Turner, but... <sighs> Neither one of them are necessarily world-class. I'd say Millie Turner's probably world-class, but not necessarily Amy Turner. And it would be really perfect to have Millie Turner have this nice compliment alongside her and Abby Dahlkemper, who can not only have really great distribution, which is something that Amy Turner tends to lack in, but also can defend really, really well, which who doesn't love an additional world-class defender in your back line? So it... it it, it just makes you wonder. It really does. And the thing is, another big plus with United signing Abby Dahlkemper, if they did sign her, I wish they would have, would be that it's more incentive for Tobin Heath and Kristen Press to also resign for a couple more seasons after this one because they've got their international teammate with them and it promotes more chemistry and it just makes everybody much, much happier. In that situation, for Abby Dahlkemper, she couldn't go wrong whether she signed with City, United, Chelsea. She probably would have found one of her U.S. teammates on any one of those squads. But for United, I think she would have made a much, much bigger impact with them than she would have with City. But then again, 
time will tell because if City didn't have Abby Dahlkemper, I think I'd still be pretty confident that they'd win out and win the title for the rest of the season. But if Manchester United would have picked up Abby Dahlkemper, I would say there's no doubt in my mind that they'd make Champions League by the end of the season and challenge for the title next year too. So it really makes you wonder overall why United didn't pursue her. Maybe they just have other plans. Maybe they already know Tobin and Kristen are going to be leaving next season. But even then, why wouldn't you sign another world-class defender to bolster your back line? So guys, overall... It was a fantastic game for United for Casey Stoney's side, especially coming out of the international break. They played very well. They had three goals. They had kept a clean sheet. They took 75% of the possession nearly. They didn't give up any corners, and they gave up no shots on goals. So it's about as dominant as you can get. But what did you think of the match? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you thought. All right, so let's get into the next main topic. Let's get into our third and final main topic for the episode, which is going to be the FAWSL Player and Manager of the Month nominees have been released for the month of February. So we'll start off with the players. The player nominees include Lucy Bronze, Aileen Whalen, Jill Scott, and Natasha Harding. Uh, accolades for all of them. Lucy Bronze scored a couple goals to find out of her mind for Manchester City as they had a perfect month. Aileen Whalen had two monumental goals, one of which came at a victory over Chelsea to end their nearly two-year unbeaten run. So Aileen Whalen came in clutch for both of those. Then Jill Scott Everton, I believe she only had one goal, and then Natasha Harding of Reading also with a goal. Moving into the nominees for the manager, there are three nominees for the month of February, including Hope Powell of Brighton, Gareth Taylor of Manchester City, and Kelly Chambers of Reading. Hope Powell for Brighton had a really, really strong month, perfect this month, six points in two games. With the international break, the number of games was pretty light this month. One of those wins included a win over Chelsea, which, like I said earlier, had nearly a two-year unbeaten run in the FAWSL and knocked over that win streak. So that was a huge, huge match. That They they, they start off the month really, really close to the relegation spot, and I'd say they're probably still in a little bit of danger just because a lot of the teams below them have a few games in hand. But they were just creeping up above Bristol City in terms of uh, games in hand and also points. And now they've, with the two wins, they've like climbed all the way up to seventh and are kind of out of that conversation as of right now, provided all the teams below them don't start winning everything. So that was a really, really big month for Brighton in this particular case and also Hope Powell as well. Moving next into Gareth Taylor. Gareth Taylor, three matches this month. Perfect in all three of them. Comes away with nine points. Manchester City scored nine goals in that time frame. And they had two wins against teams who were in the top four, including Manchester United and Arsenal. And they allowed no goals in that same time span. So Manchester City and Gareth Taylor had an incredible month. And then lastly, Kelly Chambers over Reading. She had four points in two games. One of those wins came at a victory over Manchester United at the beginning of the month over the brilliant Casey Stoney. So really awesome stuff. What are my picks for each of the awards going to be this month? For my player of the month, I'm going to pick Alien Whalen. The biggest reason being is that the, the circumstances that greatness comes out of are just the circumstances I described for Brighton. You're really close to a relegation battle. You need big goals. You need big wins. And you come up with these big goals against teams that you never thought would be possible. I thought Chelsea was going to literally destroy Brighton that weekend, like 6-0, I think my score prediction was. And Aileen Whalen had something else to say about it, and she ended up scoring a goal and helping her side get to a victory. And then the very next week, she does the same over West Ham United to give Brighton two wins in a row. She was the lone goal for the whole game, so it was absolutely 
massive for her club for this month. So I got to give it up to Aileen Whelan for that. Lucy Bronze is a really close second. She had a very strong month. Depending on that right side, she had a, a pair of goals and a couple of assists, so she had a really strong month as well. But for mainly the circumstances surrounding Aileen Whalen's goals, I got to give it up to Aileen for this one. My manager of the month is going to be Gareth Taylor. Gareth Taylor probably could have been manager of the month the last two months. And now that Manchester City have been winning like literally every man- match over the last three months, I can't snub him again. I got to give it the award to him this particular month. He has definitely proven he should win the award because he gets nine points in three games his team doesn't allow a single goal they score nine and two of those wins come over top four teams they are steamrolling everybody and i expect them to win out for the rest of the season so for this month my pick is going to be gareth taylor for manager of the month ladies and gentlemen who are your fawsl player and managers of the month for the month of february feel free to jump down into the comments below and let me know what you think we have come to another end of the women's soccer slash football podcast as always it's an honor and privilege to have you all watching and here with me today until the next episode i've been bryce this has been the women's soccer slash football podcast and as always have a great day